When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The other thing that happened was Bob Santelli came to our house during COVID to talk to Gary about a meet and we're out on our screened in porch practicing our social distancing. And he and Gary had their meeting and they were talking about different things. Their meeting was concluded. But during their meeting, Bob kept talking about this period of time that this version of the band back before Born to Run and how much he loved that band at that time. And once when Vinny left was left the band, David was playing piano, already p- playing piano for the band. They needed a drummer. They hired Boom Carter, who was David's friend, and they were quite accomplished musicians. And the first time I heard David, I think it was New York City Serenade. I was classically trained pianist but as a kid, and I just went, oh, my God, what's he doing playing in a rock and roll? And I was just like, it was so unusual. Yeah. Only, so that version of the band, Bob Santelli kept talking about. And when meeting was over, I said, would you like to see some pictures from that era? He goes, you have some? And I said, Yes. So I had some prints that Rocky and I had uh, made when after I had met up with him in 2014, we had gone through a number of images to see which ones we liked best. Bob saw them and he went nuts. He says, oh, my God. He said, Nick, he, I remember his words and I was just blown away. He said, Nikki, these are really good. I'm not just saying that. These are really good. What can I do to help? Again, same thing that Bruce said to me. So I said, I'm not a writer, and I certainly couldn't write a historical piece. I don't know what I'm talking about. He said, whatever you need, I can help. So Bob was committed to writing the piece, and Bruce had committed to helping, and I wanted him to write the preface, the foreword. Gary had already written something that was pretty terrific, just the way his little stream of consciousness about how their, their trip to Houston, that was pretty wild. And... And then I had my own recollections. So there we had whatever we needed in terms of writing for the, the book. Hello, everyone. Happy holiday season. You are listening to a very special Set Lusting Bruce, uh, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and I have a return guest. Earlier this year, Nikki joined me and talked about her amazing book, Springsteen, Liberty Hall, and we had a great time. And it's the holiday And everyone's going, what do I get my Springsteen fan on my wish list? 
So I'm like, oh. hey, Nikki, you want to come back and talk about the book again? <laughs> and as you could see, so we're going to talk a little bit about it. I have Mark, I have Ed here as my studio audience. Hello, Mark. Hello, Ed. Thank you both for joining us. Nikki, welcome back to the podcast. I'm really happy to be here, Jesse. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, I am so excited. So we aren't going to go into a lot of depth. In the last time we visited with Nikki, she talked a lot about how she ended up being there, how she ended up taking photos, and how the origin of the book, of how it came to be. But for those of you who came in late, as they used to say on the Phantom comic strip, do you want to give us just a brief overview, Nikki, of a little bit of maybe your background and why you decided that this was something important to publish? I'll try to make it brief. I was a single mother living in Houston, Texas. I had graduated from the University of Texas as an art student, and I had taken a photography course and I'd always taken pictures. The course I took was with a very well-known uh, documentary photographer who had worked during the FDR administration. And I really think he changed everything for me, everything, because there was an immediacy to photography that I loved. And I had been taking pictures since I was about 10. My dad gave me a brownie and my father took pictures all the time. He documented everything. He was an Air, uh, Army Air Corps, Air Force career officer, pilot, and traveled the world. And he took a camera with him wherever he went. And he had a wonderful eye. It was He not only had a degree in engineering, but also in, in architecture. And he could draw. In fact, he taught me to draw. And so he was a multifaceted man and he got, that's where my interest first started. So when I graduated from the University of Texas, like what do you do with an art degree? And I taught school for one year and then I got pregnant with my daughter. And back in those days, you could not teach school when you were pregnant. So I got, I became very fortunate in that I met through a friend probably the best photographers in Houston and the Southwest. And I started as an intern for about three months, and then I landed the job as an assistant. And I was with Ron Scott for five years, and I had the wonderful uh, opportunity to use the studio, and not only use the studio, but I learned everything technical that you could possibly learn at that time because Ron was just a genius at the technical aspects of photography and the eye I was the art student and also I was there I met I had the opportunity to meet a number of very interesting people including the art director for Rolling Stone magazine who came to judge a show in Houston and and I had met him actually in the fall of 73 and he had already told me that he wanted me to shoot an assignment for him to shoot the Smothers Brothers, which just blew me away. And I actually wound up shooting them just after I did this shoot for uh, at Liberty Hall. And I did, I had met also the CBS record promoter for Bruce Springsteen and Mike Pilot. And neither one of us can remember exactly how we met, but we did. And he, when he put together this show for Liberty Hall, uh, which was to get 
Bruce to, and that's, this is all in the book. This is all in Bob Santelli's piece, which is a wonderful piece that he wrote for the book. He called me up one day and he said, Nikki, well, I want you to come down to Liberty Hall, bring your camera. There's this band I want you to meet. I said, okay. And Liberty Hall, I knew, and a lot, everybody that was anybody wanted to play Liberty Hall. And it was just as, as Gary says, this was a perfect venue for what they like to do. It was just the right size and and intimate and loose. And and it was, as Bruce said later on, he said at one of our meetings, he said, a year after this, you wouldn't have had this kind of access because there wasn't, there were no minders and there were no other photographers that I was aware of. And if there were, they were just getting a few shots maybe of the band on stage. But once I met them, it was just, there was just a connection. We were all kind of the same age and it was easier for a woman and a young woman to shoot in that environment. And, but it was a pretty serious environment. It was not, it was not, there were no, there was no drugs. There were no uh, groupies and it's not unlike the way it is now. There's a lot of thought and quietness that happens backstage which is another reason why they really don't have a lot of, there's not a lot of backstage access at this point. And I try to, try to remind people, this is work. This, they play for a living, but that's their work. And they have to put it all out on stage there. They need to get ready for that. And there's a lot of physically getting ready and, and psychologically getting ready. There's a, there's a room called a quiet room where you can just try to, be still before you go out. So there's, it was like that. And it's really, I don't think it's really ever changed. I think that's one of the reasons why they are so good at what they do. So yeah. I go there and I, sh I wound up going back to the studio and developing some of the prints, uh, some of the negatives and the, doing some contacts. And I thought there probably something here. So Long story short, I went back all four days and they had added, once the band played the first night, three additional shows were added. So instead of four shows over four days, there were seven shows over four days. And that gave me a lot of opportunity to shoot a lot, which you needed to do to get a good shot because back in those days, you're, when you're shooting with available light, you're not always gonna get a great shot. Uh, on film. One of the things when I was in Houston in May of this year, and I was visiting with a, a, a wonderful friend of mine, Alex, and I asked him, I said, do you know Liberty Hall? And he said, oh, yeah. He says, in fact, that was him and his wife's, one of their first dates was going to a show. I said, oh, were you there when Bruce was? And he goes, when? And I told him, he goes, no, I don't think so. He says, I would have remembered that. He said, but, oh, Liberty Hall was just this amazing. And I told him about your book. And I think he was more interested in buying it because of the Liberty Hall connection than the Bruce connection as a Houston historian. So I think of this like you, you hear places like in Los Angeles that are iconic venues but for houston it appears like this was an iconic venue 
Yeah, it really was. And one of the interesting stories about there were so many little serendipitous things that happened that helped put this book together. First of all, none of it would have happened had not Bill Whitbeck contacted Gary in probably late 2010. He was writing this article about Gary and Liberty Hall for the base magazine, a base magazine. I can't remember which right now, but at any rate, he was 17 years old when he went to Liberty Hall and heard Bruce. And that's when he decided he wanted to be a bass player when he heard Gary's bass playing. And he did go on to become a bass player for and became Robert Earl Kane's bass player. He's still playing bass now that Robert's retired. He's still playing bass and he still lives in Texas. And, and one of his friends was a year younger than him who was with him. And now I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember his name, but I'll think of it is a fiddle player who moved to England and he came to my book signing in England. And so it started with Bill contacting Gary saying, oh, do you have any pictures of you from Liberty Hall? And Gary was living in Whitefish at the time, Whitefish, Montana. And he said, no, but I know somebody who does. So I hadn't, had any communication with Gary whatsoever for over two decades. And I got this phone call from him on New Year's Day in 2011. And I didn't recognize the number, so I didn't pick it up. And then I got this voicemail message and I went, oh my God. <laughs> First of all, how'd he find me? I was a real estate agent, so probably my name was everywhere. And I had used my middle name, which was Jermaine at, at the time. Uh, he tracked me down and he said, do you have the pictures? And I said, somewhere. So only one picture had ever been published. And I think it's interesting that Mike Pilot never asked me to have the pictures for anything, which was strange to me. But, and I'm, I, I've never asked him why he didn't use them. I need to do that. Okay. But, anyway, but I, but at any rate, I sent Gary some pictures. I said, here's some pictures. And then I found these black and white negatives. And I said, let me have these scanned and I'm going to send them to you. And as soon as he got them, he went crazy for him. He said, we don't have anything like this. So fast forward, 2014 comes around and I was, I started looking into the possibility of doing something with the pictures. And the only reason why I hadn't done anything before that is because I was way too busy working. Uh, I was a, a real estate agent in Sonoma, Napa, California, and that's a 24 seven job. So I didn't have time for anything but that. And I knew that if I did this, it was going to be time consuming. I didn't realize how much, but I started talking with Rocky Kenworthy, who did the color work for the book. And Rocky sat me down and he said, you need to do this. You need to write. You need to, there's a book. There's a, I was only talking about doing some prints and he, and I said, whoa, whoa let's put on the brakes. So I did. And I put on the brakes until I thought, okay, I'm going to wait until at least till I retire. In 2018, I was still living in Sonoma and Gary and I reconnected. And he, at this time, he was soon to be single again. And, and we had started talking. We talked, I think we talked for at least three months before we saw each other. 
And there was always this conversation about these photographs. And at some point he, in our relationship, long distance relationship, he asked me if I'd consider moving to Nashville. I was going to move to New Orleans. That was my dream to move to New Orleans. In 2019, I moved to Nashville. And then of course, in the early 2020 COVID hit and we were home one day and Gary said, what do you think if I send some of these pictures to Bruce? And I went, here we go. So I already had a feeling what was going to happen. And Bruce said, who took these? And, and I, I got on the Gary's phone and texted him and said, that was me. And we talked, I think we talked that afternoon and I said, I'm thinking about doing this book, but I wouldn't do it without your blessing. And he said, just tell me what I can do to help. So that's how it started. So let's, I would just stop at that point and then tell you what my decisions were at that point and how the book started to finally come together because there were so many really wonderful things that happened to make it, make me realize that this was the right time. That any time that if I had tried to do it before, it just never would have been as good as it is. Okay. I have an awful lot of help with that. Yeah. So Mark, Ed, any thoughts before she goes to the next phase, if you guys have a question? By the way, thank you for that summary. That was great. <laughs> I'll let Nikki continue at this point. I'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah. going into the going into story as it continues. So let's go. Yeah. Yeah. P -p please keep going. I have a couple of questions prepared, but, but for further into the detail, Nikki, please keep going. Oh, it's fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So the only thing I'm going to do is what I'm fascinated about is this specific era of the band mm -hmm. is just it, it it's this unique moment almost in time that you capture that is almost like this magic of how to, like every once in a while to put it you you get this shot that comes out perfect you're like it's almost like this is staged to have that moment of the band being ever captured, that was just really magical. And as you said, even a year or two later, there's no way you could have done this. So yes, please. So Bruce gives you his blessing, which by the way, that's so awesome. Gary's right. saying, you should do this. So look, take us from there, please. So one of the things that happened before I left Sonoma, I met this wonderful woman, Norma, Quintana, who had made a beautiful book about a traveling family circus that she'd worked on for about 10 years. And she used this fabulous designer out of Weehawken, New Jersey, Yolanda Cuomo. I'll just go really fast forward here just to say that I ultimately decided to work with Yolanda when I decided I was finally decided I was going to do a book. And I looked at her website and I went, oh my Lord, she was doing Pete Souza's books and she'd done Avedon books. She'd done all these incredible books. And I thought, she's she gonna want to do a rock and roll book. And then of course she's from New Jersey. So. <laughs> and I, as soon as I say Springsteen, anybody on the East coast, it's never mind. They're going to be on board. So she was, of course, she was like, yes. 
Not only that, when Pete saw what she was working on in her studio, he goes, I got to meet Nikki. So during COVID, we had a Zoom call. And then uh, on the tour, I got to meet, meet up with Pete a couple of times. He's just an amazing guy and just wonderful. I consider Pete a friend. And because he considers me a friend, I couldn't be more honored. And uh, I'm a fan, huge fan. And so Yolanda, that was my key to producing a gorgeous book. There was no, it never would have been this book without Yolanda. I can say that in my opinion. The other thing is I knew nothing about publishing a book. And I did talk to a couple of different publishers and they all wanted, it were like too soon. They couldn't get it out fast enough. And yet the band was going to be going on tour and it seemed like a really good timing. And besides Bob Santelli, who I'll tell you how I met him too, Bob Santelli said, oh, Nikki, you got to get this book out because the fan base is getting old. And so I said, I said, yeah, me too. So I get Yolanda on board for this project and I'm finding out how little I know about book publishing. The other thing that happened was Bob Santelli came to our house during COVID to talk to Gary about a meet and we're out on our screened in porch practicing our social distancing and he and Gary had their meeting and they were talking about different things. Their meeting was concluded. But during their meeting, Bob kept talking about this period of time that this version of the band back before Born to Run and how much he loved that band at that time. And once when Vinny left was left the band, I'll be polite and say left the band, but he was actually we all know he's booted from the band, but David was playing piano, already playing piano for the band. They needed a drummer. They hired Boom Carter, who was David's friend, and they were quite accomplished musicians. And the first time I heard David, I think it was New York City Serenade. I was classically trained pianist but as a kid, and I just went, oh, my God what's he doing playing in a rock and roll? And I was just like, it was so unusual. Yeah. The only other person that I heard at Liberty Hall that had a piano player as accomplished as that was Michael Allen Murphy. Okay. And his piano player had studied music at SMU. He was a, a, a music major there. So that version of the band, Bob Santelli kept talking about. And when meeting was over, I said, would you like to see some pictures from that era? He goes, you have some? And I said, yes. So I had some prints that Rocky and I had uh, made when after I had met up with him in 2014. We had gone through a number of images to see which ones we liked best. Bob saw them and he went nuts. He says, oh my God. He said, Nick, he, I remember his words and I was just blown away. He said, Nikki, these are really good. I'm not just saying that. These are really good. What can I do to help? Again, same thing that Bruce said to me. So I said, I'm not a writer. And I certainly couldn't write a historical piece. I don't know what I'm talking about. He said, whatever you need, I'll, I'm, I can help. So Bob was committed to writing the piece and Bruce had committed to helping. And I wanted him to write the preface, the foreword. Gary had already written something that was pretty terrific, just the way he, his little stream of consciousness about how their, their trip to Houston, that was pretty wild. And, and then I had my own recollections. So there we had 
whatever we needed in terms of writing for the, the book. Then I had, then it came down to editing. And it was hard to come up with a lot of what I thought were really great color shots, but I had some really nice black and white images that honestly, when I was in my twenties, I wasn't as confident about what I had. Plus, back then, nobody knew what this band would be. Right. They certainly didn't know. They thought they were on the skid and they were trying to keep it together and keep their contract with Columbia. Having, and then they had the issues with Bruce and Mike Appel had their issues. It was pretty intense time. And I remember saying to Bruce on the tour one day, I said, who knew? And he said, just, we're still standing. We're all still standing. We're alive. Yeah. That's amazing. So when I saw the pictures again, I started seeing them with a new eye, a very mature eye. And also one where I was really confident in my editing abilities and yeah. I had some I had to push back a few times on that because I was really clear about what I liked and what I didn't like. So there was that part of it. Max showed up during COVID and okay. I showed Max images. And that's when he, I was allowed, he said what he said about discovering them and he, that I could quote him. And I said, and he's the only person who wasn't there or wasn't a part of the book project right. who, who met. He just fabulous quote for the book. And so there was some very definite design decisions made. And I'm going to back up about the publishing decision. Ultimately, I made the decision to self-publish to maintain control of the quality. If I had used a publisher, I would not have had control over ultimately how these images showed up on the page. I would have lost some control over the design. I wouldn't have had an opportunity to pick the printer or the paper. All of these decisions would have been watered down. And I was in a financial position to be able to publish my own book, which most people can't afford to do, which is which is uh, understandable because when you're dealing with a book of photographs, it's far more expensive than if you're just publishing a novel and words on a page. So I can talk a little bit about how those decisions were made and why the quality of the book turned out the way it did. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Yeah, I, I want to hear more about that because it seems from the times you and I have talked and we've mm -hmm. exchanged some emails, this, it was important for you for this to be done right. If we were going to do, this was very important for you that if we're going to do this, let's get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to do one book. I don't have any plans whatsoever to do another book. And I'm not going to reprint this book. This is a first edition, limited edition. I printed 5,000 books. When they're gone, there's not going to be any more. And there's certainly a lot more than 5,000 fans out there. Right. So, and I'm, I am trying to sign as many books as I can. And for those, I just want to put it out there. For those people who already have a book that's not signed, if there's an opportunity for you to bring it to a book signing or somehow hook up with me, somehow I'll get it signed for you if you want it signed. Okay. And uh, now that I'm home for a while, I can do that. And then I'm, I'll be doing more of that on the tour coming up if I can arrange it. It's not an easy thing to do, but there are... I left about half the books in Europe and then I brought the other half to the U.S. And the markets are pretty much similar. And But at any rate, I am I have a collection of books on photography. And I have collected a lot of photography. I have a really nice eclectic photography collection. And I'm an artist. So I didn't want this to be a book of rock and roll photographs. I wanted it to be a book of photographs that would be seen as art and I wanted the fans to be able to afford to buy it for by the time they paid for shipping and the book to keep try to keep it under a hundred dollars because shipping costs had gotten so high and printing costs were are are so high uh, the whole process of, and the design, everything that went into it was very a, a very expensive project to do. I doubt if I'll make money on the book. Yeah. Well, That's, um, see, you have I, a question? Yeah, but before I do that, I wanted to go, Melissa P. posted, no questions, but her book is a masterpiece. I was hesitant to buy it because of the price. It is well worth it three exclamation points. This is art at its finest. The pages are thick and glorious. The pictures are breathtaking. It makes a great Christmas present for a Springsteen fan. And we'll get to Mark, but I will tell you, when I opened the book, I was in shock how 
big it was and how heavy it was. And when I started pulling it, I'm like, oh my goodness, these, the, the weight of the paper is just amazing. Mark, you had something. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, thank you, Nikki. Um, I, I am no photographer artist that's not in my sphere of reference at all, but you started to touch on there your thoughts about how you wanted to keep control and for it to be your design and your thinking. And, and one of the questions I, I had prepared for you, having gone through the book several times since I, I, I met you in Dublin and got my copy signed, thank you again for that. Could you talk through the decision-making about the black and white versus the color? Yeah. I, I'm quite fascinated by how you've tried to maybe portray what was happening, particularly in the live shots, with the black and white versus the color was it to do with the energy you felt during the show was it to do with something you've picked up on afterwards now in the last four or five years going back through them i'd love to hear a little bit from you about how you went through that process to to sure. portray the shots sure well first of all it was interesting when i met pete souza he said you were shooting color back then he said i didn't shoot start shooting color until 1978 I was working in a commercial with a commercial photographer. So I was working with color and black and white all the time, which most people weren't doing. That was, and, but shooting, and the reason why they didn't shoot with color is because it was so hard to get color on. I was shooting color transparency, not color negative. And, I was shooting with available light and it's a much slower film than shooting with Tri-X and Tri-X is still not quite fast enough for available light in most situations, although the backstage shots weren't that hard to do. But on And on stage, if you had enough light on the stage, you could get a good image. But if you notice, a lot of the images are a little soft, but I don't mind that because as long as there's something in the photograph, or unless it's a, an image that's out of focus, but still looks like it's a great image, I would use it, but I, it was, I was reluctant to do it. But I'll take, for instance, I'll take this shot, I'll show you. This is one point light source on Bruce. And this is one of the prints. And this print was made from the original negative in the darkroom. That's how all the black and white prints were made for the book. I tried doing them digitally and they were, they just did not have the same richness. But if you, but in this, when you'll notice his jacket is totally in focus right in here, the button and right around his hand. So you don't need it all to be in focus and yeah. your eye doesn't see it that way. Anyway, your eye, when you look at something, you look, you're focused on what you're looking at. And, and if you think about it, if you look ahead and pick out something in the room, look across the room and your eye is focused on what you're looking at and everything outside of that is soft. So when you're shooting with digital formats these days, there's a tendency to make everything look like it's all in focus and that is not how you see. So there's no, it loses like this feeling a feeling of 
warmth and intimacy. And one of the, one of the comments a lot, I've heard a lot about these photographs that are so intimate. There's a couple of reasons for that. It wasn't just my proximity, which was very close, but, but it was also how they were photographed, which is how most people did photograph back then. That's how you had to photograph. So I didn't want to shoot with a flash and I wanted to shoot with available light. Went back, I shot more color than I did black and white. I shot a whole lot of color and the results weren't great. I shot it on daylight, on a on daylight ectochrome and, and I shot it. I just did not, I wasn't really thrilled with the outcome. Plus they almost looked too realistic in some ways. But when I looked at the black and white negatives, there were about 145 or so negatives of uh, shots. I had about almost five rolls of film. Uh, no, that's wrong. I had almost five rolls of film and I selected out of that, I think about 53 images plus the one photograph of myself that I used in the book. I edited and re-edited and to get it to 54, I, if I wanted to really get really tight with it, I wouldn't have had enough photographs to put in the book. So I had to make some decisions to use some photographs that I might not, well, I certainly wouldn't print them as individual prints, but I put them in the book to tell the story. So the decision came down to getting the best of the best out of the black and white, which are my favorite images. And the, um, and the best of the color. And we tried, we wanted to get around a hundred or so photographs. I think there's a total of 94 in the, in the book total. The other thing when I, this was a very important design decision in the very beginning. Every single photograph had to be full frame. No cropping. That was part of my, call it my training, my school learning, when to frame your image, frame your photograph through the lens. Edit twice, first in the lens, and then again when you edit all your photographs. I don't like to crop. I do wind up in some situations doing that if I need to, but but in this case, I did not. And it's pretty, and the other thing was when those photographs would be presented on the page, you wouldn't be looking at a bunch of photographs on one page or on two pages. You would be focused on that image. And one of the things the publishers didn't like is they didn't like the blank pages because that cost them money. And for me, that was not an option. That, uh, that there were just some images that had to be standalone. Right. There's that it allowed the book breathes, right? This is, there is this feeling of you're telling a story. Ed, you had a question. Yeah, just, I, I enjoyed hearing you talk about that that picture of Bruce that you just showed us. And I was, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I was able to attend the Monmouth event where we had the the privilege really of listening to you describe some of these pictures, showing us the pictures and then explaining a story behind it. 
And I think you, you pointed out, if I remember a couple of pictures in particular that were your favorites. I think there's one in particular of Danny that I yeah. believe you indicated was maybe your favorite, if not certainly one of the favorites. And also several pictures of Clarence and uh, how he, I think you, you mentioned, was maybe one of the more easier of band members to photograph or one of the ones that you enjoyed working with the most. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those photos in particular with us too. Yes, I'll be happy to. In fact, I'm, I pulled out a couple of those. I'm going to show the print rather than opening the book because I did, give me just a second here. I will do that. Also, it's with Danny and Clarence, there's a nostalgia now that takes these, makes these photographs even more important than they might have been. But this is my favorite. And they, in the book, out of all the photographs, it's my absolute favorite. For a lot of reasons, first of all, I just like the photograph and I like the framing of the photograph. I think I was, I'm very self-critical, but I have a hard time finding anything wrong with this photograph. <laughs> and there were two shots. There was, there was another one where he was looking directly at me and the sax wasn't quite framed the same way on his lap, but then he looked away, just glanced away over his shoulder. And I just, I shot two probably just to be on the safe side. And then, and then I got this. And this was of course backstage. The one thing about interacting with Clarence was that he was so much older than everybody else and so much more self-assured. So he was very engaging. He told me his whole story, his life story. He liked me too, so that helped. But he was just so, he was a people person. And anybody that knows Clarence would tell you the same thing. They would, that he just was, he loved people. And he's got his hand, his hand up on his shoulder. He's just so comfortable in his own skin. And so I, when it comes to ordering individual prints, which we can talk about later, I really think this is going to be a big winner. And I think it, there's going to be an awful lot of people. It's going to be hard to necessarily uh, sell a print from some of the other band members, but I think this one would be one. Well, and that's a perfect segue. Lawrence Kay said two questions for Nikki. Does she have any book signings in the new year? And are any of her photos in the book available as prints for purchase? I wanted to make sure I got that in there because thank you, Lawrence, for the plug. He is book on the darkness on the edge of town tour is actually amazing yeah yeah and so i i I have to say i think i'm interrupting you i'm sorry about that but i have to say lawrence out of everybody outside of the book project so far i would say lawrence has been the most helpful the most informative he's helped me in so many ways and i did thank him in the book for that which i embarrassed to say I misspelled his name and of all the people and it was just can't fix that now but anyway sorry Lawrence (laughs) but I'll make up for it right now by saying he was just has been unbelievably still continues to be incredibly supportive and has helped me make some great decisions 
And, and as far as book signings, I don't have anything locked down for this coming year, but I'm still trying to, I've got, I'm going to have to figure out when I'm going to have days available on the tour. And I've got to get that from, probably get that from George or somebody to give me that information. But I also have to find somebody who's willing to commit to purchase the book and have it available in those venues, in which case they would just buy the book wholesale and I'd show up at a book signing. That worked out really well in Europe. We did that in London. Concerto Records in Amsterdam sold the most. They sold so many books. And I did a book signing there. They sold some online. And we had a great, we had a wonderful, fun book signing in in Gothenburg, which was like a party because the band showed up, but some of the band members showed up at the end and it was just really de- sweet. It was really delightful. And then we'll probably have some really good book signings in, and I expect some in Ireland working on trying to get something in Spain because we didn't have any in Spain and they really would like to have it there and Milan. And uh, we'll have an extra day or two in Milan, which will make it possible. Same thing in Barcelona and Madrid, there'll be three shows. So there should be some chance there. So I'm really hoping we can get that put together. Another one, hopefully in London try and work that out. But the U.S. Oh, and we will definitely have a book signing in Toronto uh, when we go to Toronto because the Brian List Gallery there is they're interested in carrying prints and they're also uh, they had scheduled a book signing and then, of course, had to get canceled because the tour got canceled for this year. So we'll be back in Canada. We'll definitely have something in Toronto. And I'm hoping there'll, there'll be enough I'll be able to sign enough books there that for anybody in Canada who wants to order a signed book and not have to pay the extra freight, which isn't too bad from the U.S. anyway, they can get a signed book from Brian Liss. Um, I'll just say this about books, available books in Europe. It is just cost prohibitive to send a book to Europe. Yeah, it's. My recommendation for anybody in Europe who's interested in purchasing a book is to go ahead and if they want it right away, go ahead and order it from the springsteenlibertyhall.com website and it'll be shipped from the Netherlands. And then somewhere along the tour, I'll meet up or if there's a book signing, they can bring a book and we'll have it personally signed if they want to sign book. But I just... I wouldn't feel good about charging these the freight to someone to get a signed book to Europe. I don't think it's my book's lovely, but I'm not sure it's worth that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I do it that way. But anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, if you want a signed book before and and people are starting to order books for Christmas, I'm getting a bunch of orders in now. I'm getting them out as fast as I get them in, and Gary's here to sign them as well right now. And the, we will get those personalized and getting them out. People are buying them for themselves and for Christmas presents. And there's also, for prints, the deal of the century, if they want a print and they're not a big collector, they can get the back of the book cover print for $85. Now that slips right into the book and it's signed by me and... Somebody wanted Gary to sign it as well, so he did. But but it's a really nice image of all the band members. And 
in case you didn't notice, Bruce is actually waving at the camera, which was like, thank Lord. He did. <laughs> to get his attention to look at the camera. So I said, wait a minute, he's waving. <laughs> I got that one. There's another one of them closer up in the doorway. But uh, I have that one too. But this is the one that most people seem to want. And because none of the collectible prints will be $85. That, yeah. That's not going to happen. And there won't be any 8 by 10s This is this was just a special thing I was able to get from Rocky Kenworthy. was able to do these for me. And I got a bunch of them so that if people who bought the book wanted to, uh, to frame a print, they could have that. And, and I will tell you right now, if I can do this, it is a... It's an archival digital color print. Okay. Made on Epson P twenty thousand printer. And uh, anyway, it's a wonderful color print. The other thing I wanted to tell you, if I can do this before I forget, in the making of the book, one of the reasons why the quality turned out the way it was, and I'm going to get back to available prints in just a minute. That's okay. Uh, I had to decide how to print or how, what I was going to send to the printer. And we decided on printing in Italy. First of all, they've been at it for centuries. And they, they have these family-owned businesses, and they take so much pride in the quality of their work. And Yolanda knew who to go to. So we went to EBS Printing in Venice and she went on press for three days. So what we sent them were scans of the black and white prints, which were printed in the dark room from the original negative. So we sent the prints and we sent the scans so that when they came off the press, the print was there to compare with what came off on the page and could be adjusted. So that what's in the book is so close to what you'll see in a print. And the, the so these are archival prints printed by Chuck Kelton, who's one of the master printers still out there doing this. And he printed five different versions of every single negative that went into the book and spread them out in front of me, all 54 images. And because I had done so much printing and so much editing back in my younger years, it was pretty easy for me to go through them with him and just know which print was my first choice. Because when you're working in the dark room, you have you're dodging and burning, you're doing, you're changing exposures, you're doing whatever you have to do to pull out the information you, you want. And it's, it's a process that involves some subjectivity. And what was fascinating is between Chuck, me and Yolanda, we picked the same one each time. And then I picked two choices. I picked my first choice and second choice. So we had a second choice backup, but we scanned each one of our first choices. We sent the prints and the scans to Italy, did the same thing with the color, only what the color was from ectochrome transparencies. They were scanned. And now we did use technology because 
this this is where timing is everything. We could have never pulled the information out of these transparencies back in the day by using the transparency. We were able to put that in the Adobe, Adobe Photoshop program. And for those transparencies that needed help, especially there's a color, this color, I'll show you which one. It's a color photograph of Clarence in front of Liberty Hall. First of all, he had on a white suit in front of Liberty Hall and on a white background. We were able to differentiate between the suit and the background by just whatever magic they do in a Photoshop, which I don't know how to do, but that's why I have people around to do it. But see this image of Clarence. Sure. I could have never used that photograph without that technology. His face would have been totally black. You wouldn't yeah. have been able to see the puka beads around his neck. All that would have disappeared. And I had originally thought, I can't use that photograph. I'll never be able to get that in information. But in the book, in the print, you can now you can see it. And I sat down with, with Rocky and went through each one of these images. And we only had to tweak a few but the ones we did made all the difference in the world and whether or not we could actually use them in the book. So those scans and those prints also went along with the black and white to Italy. And every as they came off the press, Yolanda could see where anything need to make need to where they need to make adjustments. All the way through, every decision was about quality. Um there were also some design decisions. I said, I don't want, I don't want a lot of pull quotes in the book. I said, once we have the, we have Bob's piece, Bruce's piece, Gary's piece, what I have to say, I don't want a lot of other information to distract from the photograph. The photographs should stand alone. And I didn't see any point in putting <laughs> a caption next to the photograph because it's pretty obvious and almost most of the photographs who was who is so once you knew who those people were you didn't really need to be reminded in every single shot so we decided we should have an index of some kind but let's put it in the back of the book and keep it from distracting from the image one of the reviews said you do have to go to the back of the book to look up the image yeah so what i do i have a lot of art books where you'd have to do that because they for the same reason you, you don't want to distract from the image. The idea you want the art to speak for itself. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm amazed and thrilled that I'm so proud of this book. I'm going to get emotional here. That's okay. <laughs> I'm so proud of this book because what I wanted to do with the help of so many others who helped me along the way, I was able to do. And that the result was the result I had dreamt of, that I had hoped for. Every single person who has gotten back to me, who has communicated with me about after receiving the book has been so complimentary, so happy, and in many cases, so surprised to yeah. 
receive it. And I do know that for some people, it it, seemed, it, it was a lot of money. But then again, come on, if you're paying 50 bucks for a t-shirt. So I, okay, you pay 15 more and you get my book. We've got something that's going to last a lot longer than a t-shirt. You have to make choices, folks. <laughs> you know, what is this important to you? And so I really feel like they're really getting their money's worth when, if they decide that this is the choice they wish to make. And that's been proven out. I think so. Again. Mark, you had a question? Yeah, thank you, Jesse. Nikki, just as you started to touch on a, on the topic there of how you've portrayed uh, the band and the, the story mm. that you're starting to put together and, and capturing some moments of history, one thing I've always been fascinated by since I was very young, I was I just literally turned 50 and I've been into Bruce's music now for, for 40 years. I, I found Dancing in the Dark in 84 when I was 10 years old and I was pretty much just off and captivated and running from there. So what, one of the things that has always intrigued me is how long people will stay with Bruce. So the likes of Bob Clearmountain, Toby Scott, Chuck Plotkin, Kevin Buell, etc. And actually in your book, you've captured in 1974, Mike Batlin in a couple of images. This is one of those things that kind of comes full circle, right, in the Springsteen universe. I, I just finished a couple of days ago reading the Warren Zanes book about Nebraska, the making of the Nebraska album. Uh, and I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this podcast is going to know that really the only other person involved in the making of Nebraska when it happened was Mike Batlin. So the Nebraska album was recorded in a rented house in Colts Neck with Mike Batlin with the infamous small TIAC eight track. And, and I just, it, it made me think about, it's another example of what you've done is captured and proven almost this incredible longevity that people have with Bruce. And once someone is trusted, they stay within the, the Springsteen E Street Band family. And I, it just made me wonder, is there anything you recall from the shows about how hard they were to set up? Was Mike saying anything about the setup of the show in Houston in such a tiny, condensed stage area? The, the technical side of it, did any of that come out in the backstage or the sound check? I'm just interested in how that might fit into the story <laughs> of what you were telling. Talking to the wrong person. No, <laughs> nothing that I remember about that. No, I would be the, I, I would not have any information on that whatsoever. The, once, when I go to, first of all, I'm not, I was not a, a Springsteen, I didn't follow Springsteen closely. There were a lot of reasons for that. First of all, I was a single mother trying to survive and working, working all the time. And I, I always loved Bruce's music and I would pay attention to it, but I didn't really, once I left Texas, I did go to another show when they came back in September and the same year in Houston and, and I didn't take my camera because when I'm shooting, I'm just all about looking through the lens. Everything else just, I don't hear that much. I don't see that much around me. I just see what's through the lens. So, and other photographers would tell you the same thing. If they want to go and listen to the music, they don't take their camera. 
because you're not going to listen to the music if you have your camera. That's why all these people that are doing all this video recording and all this stuff, they're missing out on the show. There's going to be plenty of people like there, there have been a, a several shows where I just don't shoot. If I wanted, if I really wanted to see the show, I just go to the soundboard and sit there and take it in. And if you're going to use your cell phone and you're going to shoot a lot of pictures, you're not enjoying the whole show. You just can't. Plus you're annoying a bunch of people around. <laughs> but I know that happens. I've done it. I was not aware of any of that stuff. You, that would be things you would have to ask someone like Mike Appel or, and I had, the only real conversations I had were primarily with Clarence, some with Gary and some with Danny and David and Boom were very reserved, very shy, probably because they were younger and very cognizant of the fact that they were in the South and this was an interracial band, which didn't occur to me whatsoever. It didn't, it wasn't something that crossed my mind. Uh, but I grew up in service and I went to an international school for four years and we had 28 nationalities and seven religions. And the idea of an interracial band was like, really? <laughs> no, I, sure. I didn't even, I never thought about it, but it, I'm sure it was very real. It was a real concern and, uh, but it just wasn't something that occurred to me. Yeah. So it wasn't in my, it just never crossed my mind. So I didn't really have a lot of conversations with anybody. I really just did a lot of shooting. And and I wasn't really, I was very self-critical back in those days and insecure about my shooting. And I was still finding my way, even though I did shoot, the, my first job for Rolling Stone was shooting the Smothers Brothers. And the one image, that's, which was the head, the leading image in the article was also picked up by Newsweek magazine because they took their shirts off and did like this in their hotel room. And that was prefaced by the fact that Dick said, let's get naked. And that's because John Lennon had been photographed in bed with his clothes off by Annie Leibovitz. And so he's thinking, oh, let's do this. And then Funnily enough, because you would think it would be the other way around, Tom refused. I wish I had been a little bit more self-assured, but it was my first shoot for Rolling Stone. And so I went along with Tom and when I probably could have egged him into doing it, to be honest with you. I, I, I got to know Tom later on in California. He was my next door neighbor. <laughs> Talk about a weird coincidence. But anyway, uh so I wasn't that self-assured. And I think I was probably pretty shy in shooting these guys on one hand, but the camera is like a, it's like a shield. You can, mm -hmm. once you're back behind a camera, you disappear. The camera comes forward and, and I wasn't aggressive, but I was just there. Yeah. And yeah. I was, Yeah. One of the things I thought you've mentioned a couple of times, Nikki, is how that in a lot of ways, the band, while the members have changed, the purpose 
right? They're here to do a job. They're here to make music. And that 50 years later, the consistency, right? That's there. You still feel that sense of purpose from them. Definitely. And the, you hear about a lot of issues that go along with, in different bands. And there is definitely a, an energy, a camaraderie, a, it, a professional brotherhood and respect in that. And there's, almost no drama of any kind. It's real important that energy is when you go, when you're sitting down and catering, some of the band members are sitting down with some of the crew members or whatever. It's, there's a sort of level or and and a leveling kind of backstage. There is definitely, here's Bruce and here's the original E Street band members, which basically is Gary, the oldest, and then he's been around since 71. And then and then you have Max and Roy and Steven. They're the core four. Right. And then you have everybody else. But there's this, they really are a very caring group of people. And they've been incredibly nice to me. That's and, nice. And I'm very grateful for that. So before I forget, let's, let's go back. Talk, to, yeah, let's talk about the prints that are available. Okay. So you have the book, which is 65 plus the shipping and handling. Well, that comes out to about a 85 bucks or something. Then you have the, uh, the photograph, which is 85. So that's what you can purchase online. And I'm more than happy to sign, but to order it signed, please email me at info at springsteenlibertyhall.com with a subject line that's an autographed copy. And then I'll need to know who you want it dedicated to and where to ship it. And then you can pay by Venmo or PayPal and I will get it out lickety split. Usually you get it in less than a week, something like that. And especially if you do it now, as it gets closer to Christmas, I can't guarantee what the shipping will be. It comes by uh, U.S. Postal Service. That's the book and the and the print. Now, the prints, the the color prints, and the these are archival silver limited edition prints. These are for collectors. People who are used to purchasing photographs as part of their collection. I don't have the exact prices on them, 100% down pat, but they're going to be somewhere between 950 to 2500, depending on the size of the print. And there will be in very there'll be limited editions, and some of those editions may be only 15 prints. Once wow. they're, go they're gone. I don't want to be selling prints for 20 years. And I've selected about 22. I'd like to print about half color, about half black and white. I'd like to get that narrowed down. I would love to hear back from folks when they get the book, what some of their favorite images are. But I can tell you that this one of Clarence will be in there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is be absolutely beautiful. This co The cover photograph, that will be... That will be one of them. Yeah. They will be 11 by 14s up to 20 by 24s. And 
larger prints, and there are people who do this, will buy the larger, buy larger prints. I'm looking for that. Oh, here's this other print. I think this one will be available too. This one on the Clarence backstage. I love this photograph. Yeah. All the legs. There's yeah. lots of legs. <laughs> Make sure. And everybody's everybody's in that picture. You can if you look at who's back there. So that's one of them. And they'll be available on my website, which is nikkigermain.com. It I would say probably by the end of next week or the following week. Okay. And they will be printed made made to order prints. Uh, this is the print that appeared in Rolling. This is the one that appeared in Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. That's Bruce backstage with a Coke in his hand. And the, the fellow behind him is Roberto, who was the manager of Liberty Hall and who was the one that always made me feel so welcome there, no matter who was playing. And, Very nice. And uh, he was really great. I love this one of Bruce. I love it. And this is a very quiet moment at the mic. Oh, that is beautiful. Bruce likes this too. I saw his reaction to this when he was looking at the mock-up of the book. He goes, oh. <laughs> you know, I, he goes, yeah. He doesn't see himself that way very often. That's mm -hmm. not a normal. You usually get these performance sure. shots. Performance shots. And I think I'm thinking about this one too. Yeah. That's another good image. Again, these are a lot of times images you don't see of him. I'm trying to really think about which ones. This is another one people like, but I have an even tighter shot of this I'm, that, that's in the book also. This is where he, what he would do backstage. There was only one room. He, there was no private room or anything, but he would be sitting in a little chair by himself, just getting ready to go on. And so all the black and whites will be printed in the dark room from the original negative, all limited editions, all signed by me, of course. And then... I like this one too. I think of all the shots on stage and here's what I like about it. First of all, Bruce and his wife, Peter <laughs> and Clarence, but see the cigarette packages packs on the stage edge of the stage was only about two feet up off the floor covered with this gnarly looking canvas and pretty messy. Right. <laughs> and yet Oh, you can't see it. There it is. The light shining down on him. I just think that's probably one of the better performance shots. I just, I really like that one. And so no, two, no behind the scenes, 2023, 24 book coming from you. No. Okay. I didn't I, think so. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who's got those pictures and who's going to, I just think he's doing an incredible job is a Rob DeMartin. Yeah. He's become quite a good friend and the hardest working person on the tour. Wow. The hardest working. I have, he's always working on the tour. He doesn't even take time to go out to dinner. He goes from the show to his room and sequesters himself and edits all night long. And then he goes back and shoots some more and 
I'm surprised we've had a chance to really spend much time together, but, and he's so kind and so generous. And whenever an, an, a photographer shows up on, at the, on the tour to shoot, he always shows them around, shows them the best angles. He's always helpful, but he's getting some incredible shots. And he also has full access. And so he's a access backstage and all the places that I don't go. And the other thing is I'm not there to shoot photographs or to, it's not my job. Right. And, and I'm trying to stay out of the way of the people who are working as photographers there. But I, I have gotten some pretty nice images and I think mine would be different because mm -hmm. I'm more interested in the spectacle. Yeah. Gosh, the scale of this stage and then the people on it. Yeah. They're, they're this big and then this, everything else is, I, it's just amazing to me, the scale. And yeah. uh, I like that kind of stuff. You're going to have to give me just a second because I got to plug in my computer. Hold no on problem. a second. I'll be right back. And we'll wrap up soon, Nikki. Okay. Okay. I just wanted while she's off, like both you guys, I appreciate you guys being there and just what, just being an audience and helping her. This has been fascinating. <laughs> Thank you for asking, Jesse. It's a real pleasure just to sit and listen and throw a few comments in. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really, really do. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And let me add to that too, Jesse. This is a real privilege. I, I did have an opportunity to hear Nikki talk about these photographs at Monmouth. Yeah. And such a special period of time you're talking about the original core group of the E Street Band, surviving members were at Monmouth, Vinny and Gary and David Sanchez. And that was a real treat to be able to hear that. And yeah. there's so few recordings of the band, especially concert videos or, or movies yeah. of the band at this period. But at least we have these wonderful photographs from that. This is like taking it back to the beginning, back to the creation, if you will. Of, it really is. Great experience. Yeah. I did have, I got a few questions. As I warned you, they're more about you and Gary. Okay. People are in love with this. They are in love with this love story. They're in love with love. <laughs> yes. One of my best, one of my favorite people, Betsy H said, what would that self taking the picture say if she knew about the love that would arrive years later? And you talked a little bit on our first interview that there was a little something between you two, wasn't there? We were so young, and I remember there was something about Gary that quiet. Must be careful of the quiet ones, right? Yes, <laughs> the shy ones. He was married. He was married to Cheryl, and they're still and they're still good friends, by the way. She lives in Virginia now, but they've always remained friends. And, but she was his first wife and he was the only married member in the band. But I just remember Gary really being so kind. He, he's always a good friend of Gary's here. He's known him since he was a teenager. Said Gary has never changed. Wow. He's still the same person he always was. He's still very sweet, very kind, but he's tough too. He can be tough. He's very, he is protective of his privacy and it's a challenge since I tend to be very glib and wear my heart and hair on the sleeve. So sure. uh, he's, but he doesn't, I, res, I, I respect, 
respect his privacy, but at the same time, he asked, he also knows he has to let me be who I am. Yes. Yeah. It's a good yin yang, good combination. So I'm the talker and he isn't. <laughs> Which <laughs> is wonderful, know. right? Uh, but talk. but he is a great interview. He is a great interview yes. and he's full of knowledge and he is very funny. I bet. Yeah, open invite. Paul H. asked the same thing. What did she notice about Gary when meeting him for the first time in 74? And she ever imagined they would become a couple in the 70s? So. Of course not. Yeah. But my daughter said something interesting. When I finally did tell my daughter that Gary and I were in a relationship, I waited until I knew for sure that was going to be a thing. Yeah. And she said she cried. And she cried because she's seen me make some pretty bad decisions over the years and make it some decisions that weren't the best for me, not necessarily bad, but weren't the best for me. And she said, Oh, mom, she said, you always said he was so nice. Whenever his name would come up, she, you always said he was so nice. And I think a lot of young women tend to like the bad boys sure. and make bad decisions, but Gary's not one of those guys. And he is, and he's also very easy. He's, he doesn't get upset about a lot. And uh, he's, he's fun. He's a lot of fun. He's very spontaneous. He doesn't like to make plans. That's where I come in. I make plans. When I find out that I get to Barcelona and I can't get into someplace because we didn't get tickets, I'm going, ah, I'm making plans the next time. Because I'm, I'm, I, but by the time we got to London, I already had tickets to go see the McCartney's photographs at the Portrait Gallery and the Hockney Show, and because yeah. I was determined to make plans for that. Sure, but, but he's very spontaneous. That's awesome. Yeah. Jacqueline J wants to know what's your favorite song, not necessarily a Bruce song. I don't have a favorite. Okay. Honestly, I grew up with, I grew up with so much different kinds of music, like Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, and I'll tell you who I had a crush on when I was a kid, Lena Horne. I thought Lena Horne was the sexiest thing on wheels. I wanted to be Lena Horne when I was a little girl. I just thought, man, she's cool. And I eventually got to see her and I took my daughter yeah. And I actually ran into her on the street with her husband the next day. And I was gobsmacked. I couldn't, I was just. That's awesome. Know, couldn't talk. I couldn't, I, she was spectacular. But I just, all kinds of music. And I love the Springsteen music, of course. And there's a lot of songs and that I, a lot of songs that, mean a lot to me but when you go when I go back nostalgically when I think about the music yeah. anything from those first two albums that they played at Liberty Hall of course that brings back some great memories I bet Even Cynthia, yeah <laughs> Cynthia F asks is there any chance Gary writing a book I'd buy that in a heartbeat I'd love to hear about the early years of the band from him I would think that's very slim chance correct based on what you've told with me gary did has toyed with the idea and he's done some little bit of writing he, there are there is an nda 
for a lot of the stuff uh, sure. that, that may may or okay. may not go away at some point in time. Okay. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I don't know where that NDA okay. starts. Okay. But there's certainly some of the stories I know that Steve has talked about in his book. It's interesting because everybody has their own memories. Sure. I think Vinny's writing something. Yeah. Interesting to see what Vinny comes out with. I don't know if Gary would ever finish up on a book or not, but he's got great stories and he does have a very accurate memory. That's awesome. Yeah. There's so I'm learning a lot about the history of the Jersey shore from him, which and I, we've spent a lot of time in Asbury park recently. And I'm when I step out on the street there, I go, Oh my Lord, there's so much music coming from this venue and this venue. And they're all yeah. happening at the same time. I don't know too many places where you, you can actually stand in the street and hear four different bands playing at the same time. <laughs> New Orleans, which is why you wanted to move to New Orleans, right? There well, you go. Well, one, one of the reasons. Yeah, one of the reasons, yes. One of the reasons. And you got yeah. some other questions for me? Yeah, yeah, did you have one? I know you'd asked a couple, but do you have anything else? And Mark, the same thing. I don't. I'm going to withhold that, but I, I want to thank Nikki, and I want to thank you too, Jesse, for giving us this opportunity, and, and Nikki especially for these wonderful photographs and uh, just hearing you describe the the background and the inspiration for them, I really love the backstage photographs so much. I think they really bring out the personality of the people uh, in the room and help us understand them even more. So thanks, thanks very much for doing this. Appreciate it so much. Oh, oh no, appreciate it. Mark, how about you? Before we let yeah, her go, I'll, I'll echo exactly the same uh, that Ed has just said. Jesse, it's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. Thank you very much for for inviting me to just sit and 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 watch this happening and nikki um a real pleasure uh to hear you talking this through thank you uh very much indeed um, i hope I, I hope you enjoyed your experience uh on the on the tour last year and that'd uh, be great to see you again i hope you get to enjoy some more of what europe has to offer over here with some different cities for you in 2024 i think uh this i'm really looking forward to this next go round because i feel like i have my sea legs now feel more grounded and more self-assured about my position and I'm not being just the brand new kid on the block. Sure. <laughs> Is there any moment on the tour that stood out to you both on maybe on stage or experiences? Let's face it. When you're standing 15 feet away from Barack and Michelle Obama, come on. <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. And Steven Spielberg and Kate Capshaw, just remembered Kate yeah. Capshaw, they yeah. were doing kind of their geeking out with their cell phones. And it was very sweet. And the Secret Service guys were standing, I was literally right around me. And they were yeah. very straight up and paying attention, but they couldn't help themselves. And about halfway through the show, they're <laughs> moving yeah, they're a little bit. And, and, and hey, Barack Obama did a runner off the back of the stage. That's what they call it when they yeah. you know, take off. And so they went to their cars before we did. And so that was a pretty big moment. And I did love Barcelona. And I'm looking forward to going back there. As far as a special day, yes, there was a very special day that I'm sure Rob would say was his best day too. There was a day in Oslo that Gary 
Rob invited Gary and me and Pam Springsteen to go to this really unusual place where it was like a mausoleum in, in a way private, but it had originally been built as an art studio for this man who used to do stained glass for a lot of churches and an artist. And he, his brother had done the sculpture for the sculpture garden there in Oslo. And Rob had made a special appointment for us to get into this place, which was not open to the public on this weekday. And so it was just the four of us in this dark space with no windows, but these wild frescoes on the walls. We had to, our eyes had to adjust to the very, very low lighting in there. We spent about an hour in total silence. And Rob took some pictures and I took some with my cell phone. Pam took some and it was incredible. And when we got out, we decided instead of getting it, we had taken an Uber there. We decided to walk and we were very high up on the hill overlooking Oslo and overlooking the water. And we decided to walk back. And I think we walked about seven miles or whatever it was but was down we walked downhill through this beautiful residential area and then it reminded me a lot of northern Cal, like the san francisco bay area seattle area those areas and it was very beautiful and then we got to a, a wonderful old cemetery and then to the sculpture garden and eventually we wound up back to our hotel and then we went back out and we went to have some hamburgers down by the water and at 10 30 at night were just coming out. It was still bright outside and the doors getting a little dusky. And it was so vibrant. There were so many people around. It was just a beautiful day. Four friends spinning. And of course, three photographers who were just taking pictures and just sure. doing whatever. And Rob took a picture of me and Gary from behind walking with the sun and we were in shadow and he, he was looking into the sun and Gary and I walking hand in hand through the street in front of them. And it was, it was probably taken about nine o'clock at night or something like that. And my daughter said, mom, I want a print of that. And it said, it was just a great memory. So I think that we'd have to, I think Rob would probably say the same thing. And I know Pam and really, we all four of us really loved that day. It wasn't too many times we had, we didn't have time like that on the tour. Yeah, that that sounds really lovely. I'm friends with a few people that are involved in the comic book business, and they will talk about the problem of going to conventions is you don't see anything but the hotel because you're just, you the convention hall and the hotel, you don't, and maybe a restaurant because you're just working. So I'm glad that they're going to extend it out a little bit to give you guys some time. This has been lovely. I, I just, you are welcome anytime uh, you tell great stories. SpringsteenLibertyHall.com. Guys. I would say, can I back up a minute? Yes, please. For autograph copies that you want as gifts for Christmas. Yeah. Instead of going to the SpringsteenLibertyHall.com, please email me at info SpringsteenLibertyHall.com and okay. I will and ask for an autograph copy. That's the most direct way, quick way to do it. Good. And uh, I've I've got some orders there to fulfill tomorrow, and I get I'll get them out 
as soon as you get me an order in and all the details, I'll get them out to you right away. You'll have them in time for Christmas or whatever, Hanukkah, yeah. you know, days, whatever. And we'll be here. We'll be here. Both of us will be here to sign books up until the first part of March. Okay. And then after that, I won't be able to do personalize any books until we have a break. Okay. And you can get signed books, but not they wouldn't be personalized. Okay. Sounds so. awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for the time. I hope you and Gary and your whole y'all's all extended family have a wonderful holidays and just rest and get ready for a great 2024. Yeah, I guess I better start working out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a workout. Once you I get bet there, it is. Now you're standing for hours. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's great. Yeah, nobody's um, Everybody sits down. <laughs> Mark, Ed, thank you so much for being our audience and, and giving great questions and helping us. Nikki, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you. Um, send yeah, Gary and, and, our best and just be safe and have a great holiday. Oh, can I just mention one more thing before? Anything I you want. Yeah, just because Liberty Hall, I don't know how this came up. I posted on Facebook. I found yeah. online and a, a, rec a recording of Bruce and the band at a radio station in Houston while they were performing at Liberty Hall that weekend. And oh, I, wow. I post, it's pretty crazy. You hear a lot of tuba in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and But it, it's the band at, at the radio station. We will definitely check that out. I yeah, will include... it's kind of fun. Yeah, I will include the email address. And yeah, guys, send an email address. Send her directly wanting it. I think the special print that fits into the book is a great idea as another nice way to have something a little personalized. So yeah, absolutely. It'll fit. As yeah, it's, it worked out so well for a lot of people that because it's on 8x10 paper, they can just slip it into an 8x10 frame. You don't have to go spend a lot of money on a custom frame or anything. And uh, so a lot of people have just plopped it right up behind on their wall yes. and swallowed yes. spring feet or whatever it Absolutely. is. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back. I'll be back in Europe and Cardiff on probably on my birthday. I think we have to get there before May 5th. My birthday's May 4th. I hate to tell you what year I'm coming up <laughs> on. I'm actually proud of it. I'll be the double seven on. Good on, for you. On, I hit um, this year... 23 was my Beatles year. I hit 64. So yeah, I'm so good. All right. Good. Thank you, Mark. Absolutely. Nikki, Thanks, we just Thanks, appreciate you. Have a great you. one. We'll talk to you Bye. soon. Good night, Bye. Good night. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.